This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. One day I get a call from a woman. <clears throat> she starts crying right away. So I said, what's the issue and anything I can help you with? Or do you have the right number? So she says, yeah, she's trying to reach me, Rabbi Jaffe. Because her son, uh, she's uh, basically a from Mishpach from Staten Island. Her son is uh, went off to Berach, and he's marrying. She's happy. He's marrying a Jewish girl, but it's not going to be a from um, affair, etc., etc. She'll have a, a proper Masada Gedushin and Adam. But basically, he wants a dairy wedding in a Cherry Hill, uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That we in that kind of. Um, uh, wedding place. It's a uh, you know fancy place, but uh, no hotel or anything else like it. And they they do kosher style affairs. That's what they really do over there. And that's what he wants to have. So I said, you know, it's not really up my alley. Those type of things. It's you know it's not a kosher place, etc. I don't have anybody bringing the caterer. If they're going to be the caterer, I can't bring anybody else in. So she told me that she's spoken to a number of around to try to get it done. She doesn't want to give to her family and her people coming over here. She doesn't want to give them food that's not uh, kosher. But she said she's not looking for any chumrasi durum or anything else. Just very simple, plain kosher. So I said, let me tell you like this. The first thing is, which you know, I'm going to have to go down there, take a look at the place, see what can be done. And if anything, it could only be a complete holy Israel place. Because in my opinion, of what I've spoken to, uh, Postman to everybody else is that all uh, non holy stroll today is really called of trade. So I'm not going to be given Ashgach on a trade for thing, and even if I'm not given Ashgach about to do it, I'm not going to get involved. If you ask them that everything is holy stroll, whatever the course is going to be, I'll go down and let me see if I can do it. So just she's masking. Okay, I go down, check out the place, they were very cooperative people, etc., etc., and I called up uh, a distributor from New York, um, uh, Westside Kosher, which is an OU certified distributor, and uh, they have a salesman that happens to live in Cherry Hill, and I told them what I want to have is <clears throat> an array of Cholvis roll. What you can do is try not to have it uh, too many things that should be hot, basically, so we had all different kind of danishes, and we had buns, and we had cream cheese, and we had banner locks, and uh, you name it. And we, we I, I put together and, and, and cheesecakes, etc., etc. A real spread. We had uh, blintzes that I got from uh, we got holy straw blintzes uh, of cheese ones. We got some fruit ones from uh, golden blintzes, which is basically um, bishul straw, etc. Put together a thing over there, and basically I went down there with my wife. Uh, night before because there were certain things I had to cash the, the silverware etc etc I made sure that nothing coming out of there the plates we we're going to use was um, which we also cash was uh, glass plates trays that we needed a very very minimum amount of trays I was able to locate some new ones and with that I went through a cashing with them also and uh, we cashed the the what, what, what do we needed to cash and basically me and my wife checked all the eggs and uh, then the mother of the chassan comes in to the kitchen and asks how things are going. I said, Baruch Hashem, I got to tell you. And we, my wife went out to the band because they brought along their own food. And we, my, the, my wife told the band, you should know, 
that everything over here today is Holy's Roll. It wasn't an easy job to do, but boys produced it. Everything is Holy's Roll. Everything is Bishley's Roll, even for Svardom, etc., etc. Because we made sure that I did the cooking or my wife did the cooking. Everything else, right? But we kept it to a minimum of amount of things that has to be cooked. Some eggs, a little bit, some other thing, but nothing. The cheeses were served cold. Etc. Etc. Really put it out that it was a hard thing to do. That the rabbi from Staten Island comes up with something to follow him. He was talking of uh, a Rob. I don't remember what his name was. And uh, he says, you know, the mother of the Chassan tells him that everybody was surprised. They knew that basically they have to eat before they come and can't go over here. But he hears that she says that everything is holy stroll over here and everything is Layla Layla. He's got. And I said, come, I'll show you everything what I've done. And basically, yes, my wife did go out and she found that certain. Uh, serving things was which was not kosher because I had only one of the marks, so she took them off the table before they put in any food or anything else like it. And Baruch Hashem, you know, the thing went off. We were able to get salads from Positive, etc. And I told each one of the places wherever we were making the orders that um, I'm not responsible for the payment. You have to check with this uh, the caterer over there, make sure you make arrangements or get paid in advance. What do you have to do? But it was a rough one. But I got to tell you, it was a very, very big Kiddush Hashem. And then the caterer asked if we could do more of these things. I said, no, this is a one-shot deal. Of course, it's a situation, but I don't want to make it customary that people are going to come over here to start doing affairs. This is not a kosher caterer, so I'm not going to do it. It was a one-time thing. There was a commandus on them. But basically, I'm not going to do such a kind of thing. And we basically stayed away from that. I was in charge in um, Yeshiva Shatan, I was in charge of the Chabad Kadish for about 25, 30 years. And there was uh, one uh, very, very Chosh of Rosh Yeshiva that had Yanamachla, Loyalenu, and basically he was Nifter. And he came from Boston, they brought him over here back on Thursday, and the uh, Levi was going to be Sunday. And the question is, you going to have a Do you do the Tyra, Samach Lemisa, Samach Lekfur, and the Kfur is going to be an stroll on? basically on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it came out to be, must probably be Monday, Monday afternoon. But I made the decision that we should do the Tyra right away, for a very simple reason. The body, with that machl, the body deteriorates very fast, and the odor is going to be very, very hard, very tough to, to deal with. So, if we do the Tyra Thursday night, <coughs> and I pack it with dry ice, and then um, Friday before Shabbos, I repack it again with dry ice, and Sunday night, uh, Sunday morning, before the Leviah, and then right after the Leviah, so by the time it comes to Texas Roll, basically the body is going to be pretty frozen, that there isn't going to be any smell at all, because it was the middle of the summer, it was uh, Thomas, and uh, the, you know, it would have been very, very, very not nice. And yeah, it was, I uh, had to basically overrule a number of other people at Tainus. They said, you want to do a closure to that? Maybe it's going to be body leakage, etc., etc. But I knew once I have the the the, the body frozen uh, with dry ice, and that I replaced it basically over three, four times, uh, there's not going to be no leakage. Everything is going to be solid frozen. Okay, the Chabot Hadish, they were upset. They said, you know, well, what what you send over here? Uh, frozen body, this and that, but basically had no choice but have to do it. There was a while around the Kaddish, and there was um, an infant that uh, uh, was for about seven. From when he was born, he was a sick child. They sent him to an institution in Camden. Then uh, what happened was that uh, he was nifter at night, and the father and another of went down to pick it up, and the institution, for some reason or other, without having an undertaker, they released it. And then the Camden County prosecutor found out about this, 
and he called up the local um, uh, undertaker over here, do you uh, get the body released? Did you give permission to anybody to use your license? He says, no, I didn't. He says, oh, it must be this Rabbi Yaffe is the one that did it. And Rabbi Yaffe did it. He told the Cayman prosecutor to go after that. So the Cayman prosecutor called up to find out who runs over here the cemetery, etc., etc., and we're going to have meetings with somebody. I got wind of this that basically they're out after me because uh, they felt that at least what the undertaker told them was that it was definitely that I'm the one that I said that I'm from this um, uh, undertaker, the, that's located over here, and I misused his name, he misused his license, etc., and they should go after me. So I found out what's going on. I had a certain working relationship with the deputy chief of police over here, Wayne LeCount and Detective Ray Pazlaznik, because a number of times when, uh, it wasn't too often, but it happened a number of times uh, that the uh, Deputy Chief uh, um, Wayne LeCompte had to get into a, cl a closed building uh, that was locked, and um, I used to be a locksmith years ago, so I used to open up for them the building, not when they were there. I told them at this and this time it will be open. So there was basically, he owed me certain favors, this uh, deputy chief. So I called him up and I said, uh, I'd appreciate if you could meet with the um, prosecutor of Camden and work this out somehow or other, whatever he needs, make sure you get it. He says, yeah, I have no problem. He says, the most that he could ask for is that he wants to have a licensed funeral director to sign off on this on all the paperwork. He says, just like uh, I owe you, he says, I have other... Uh, funeral directors that owe me favors. He said, I'm going to make them sign on the dotted line and we'll basically get over with that. And, it'll, uh, and Baruch Hashem, we got over with it and they uh, didn't, ask, uh, didn't come to ask me any questions. But the rabbi in the town decided that because I went and did it to Shus, at least what he thought was Shoribir Shus, he told me they should take away the key from the, from the cemetery for me. So he sent one of his assistant rabbis to take away the key from the cemetery. I had no problem. I gave it to him. And then, basically, uh, two weeks later, um, this rabbi calls me up, and he says that the head rabbi said I should give you back the key. I say, why? He says, because what you did to him. I say, what did I do to him? He says, you know, you took, basically, as it happens in a town of younger people, like here, these um, uh, stillborns that, uh, that have to be buried. And basically, they used to bring it to my house. So what I did was, I didn't have the key to the cemetery anymore, so I, when I accumulated a few of them, I went and put it down by the rabbi's front door, and let him go take care of the burials, you have the key. So once he saw that's what the matzav is, he decided to go give back this, this uh, key, and let me not start with him. I was given uh, a in Caterer, New York, a former caterer, for Balas Chuba, the color was a Balas Chuba. And she told me that her father... She sure is going to be against this much of, of having a mechitza. So she wants me to insist that there's going to be a mechitza. I shouldn't give in to him. And she knows there's going to be an ASIC, but I should stay firm about it. Her heart means that much. She knows that she wants to have that, that should be a mechitza. So I put up the mechitza. And what I did was, before they went into the yichud room, I gave her my pager. Because those days there was no cell phones. And I told her that if on the page it comes up this and this number, you open the door from the Yichud room. Otherwise, I don't care if you're there an hour, two hours, or three hours. You don't answer the door. Even if the caterer comes or anybody comes, keep it locked from the inside. And I'll handle the mechitza. And Kachavah, right after the chuppah, the father comes over to me. He says, Rabbi, with all due respect, 
we know that this is a my daughter wants to have a religious affair, but by us people, we don't have such a kind of thing as a mechitza. So I'm just letting you know, I dismantled the mechitza. I say fine. I say she wants to have it, but you know, whatever you want to do, you can do. Goes by a half hour. They knock on the door. They knock on the door. Chosen and Kal don't answer. Goes by 45 minutes. The caterer goes up, knocks on the door. Nothing doing. Nobody's answering the door. I told the father, I'm telling you, you're not going to get no answer. You're not going to get nothing. If you're asking to have a mechitza there, things will move along. If you're not asking for a mechitza, everything will remain status quo. That's the orders I have. So after an hour and a half, he decided he can't help anything. So he put back the mechitza. I got a hold of a wire to basically tie together the mechitza. You can't take it apart unless you have proper tools to take it apart. Once that happened, I basically went to the telephone, called my pager, and put in the, the code number, and basically the caller, the customer caller came out, and then the caller suddenly passes me something. Everybody looked, it looked kind of surprising. What is this caller passing to the rabbi? You know, well, what in the world is going on? But Baruch Hashem, what happened was, I decided that as soon as they give the main dish, I better get out of here, because I know that the father is going to really take it out on me uh, after the meal. So I decided, okay, so I took my bag, and I was with my uh, coat, I was ready to go out the door, and suddenly he's standing by the door, and he blocks me, and he says, Rabbi, I want to speak to you, please take off your coat, put down your things over here, come inside, I want to speak to you, so I'll and decided, okay, I have to go in and speak to him. So I go in, and he calls together all of his friends, and he says in front of everybody, I want to apologize to the rabbi and to my daughter, that they insisted on Rechitz, and I didn't want it, and I dismantled it. And I felt very hurt, but I got to tell you, Rabbi, and he, he brought the collar there, and he says, I have never seen such a beautiful wedding in my life, and my all my friends said the same thing. I appreciate that you stood your ground, and you did what has to be done right, and this is the right way of doing a wedding, is by having the mechitza there, having the men separate, having the women separate, and I really appreciate of what you've done, and thank you very much, and I apologize again for what I've done. Another wedding I was doing in New York, <coughs> and the band was up on a balcony, which they looked down at the the chosen side and the color side, etc., etc. I told them this is unacceptable. Either we put up a mechitza and you could only go look down on the men's side, no access to the women's side, or you go downstairs and you're not on the balcony. So there was a whole asik, the the father of the chosen comes up. He was paying me for the Ashkacha, because the Chosen was the one that hired me. I usually don't work for caterers. I work for the Balisimcha. So um, he tells me, no, I want them up there. Mm -hmm. I say, well, I'm not allowed it. You're not continuing. And I unplugged the, their equipment. And I said, they have to go downstairs. He says, Rabbi, if that's the case, I'm not paying you. I said, it has nothing to do with it. I said, you don't have to pay me. I said, but we're not going to violate the Halacha. The Halacha is they cannot be up over there. They have to be downstairs. That's the way it's going to be. You decide not to pay me because that's what's made up, that's what you feel is none of my business. I, I, when I undertake a wedding, this is part of my business. You don't want to pay. I'm not going to say a word. I'll stay here. I'll do my job as, uh, as has to be. But you will not have the band up over here. Put them downstairs, and that's where it was, etc., etc. And I didn't say anything. You know, this is a part of the thing. You know, you have to... You have to be ehrlich about everything, and if it means because of that you don't get paid. You don't get paid. Ross is about uh, five, six weeks later, I get a call from the chosen, and he says, you know, I was by my uh, parents for Shabbos, 
From what the statement my father said, he says, it seems to me that he didn't pay me. Is that correct? I say, well, the opach was, because I insist that the band goes down, that he's not going to pay me, and that's what it is, and I accepted it. We made a deal, and I accepted it. So, uh, a few days later, I get a, a money order in the mail from Hassan. I shouldn't tell his father about anything, but basically he's paying for the thing. He made a decision, he spoke to his wife, and that's what he decided to do, to pay for the thing. But I w was completely willing to just stand my grounds for the halacha, and whatever happens with uh, getting paid or not getting paid doesn't really carry any weight by me. Uh, one of my visits to this show, and more than one, basically, I stopped him by the Gumil Rebinowitz. <coughs> And basically, uh, I know we were talking about a number of things. And then he starts talking about the uh, Shaduchim. And he says, let me tell you how my Shaduchim is. And you'll understand from that a lot of other things about Shaduchim, which are important to know, because people come to you, they talk to you, and important to know. He says, and if I change the subject in the middle, it's because somebody walked into the room. So don't think that I lost myself, but that's what it is. He says, my question was, who do I, what kind of Shaduchim do I get? He says, I was able to get... You know, all different kinds of Tamidichab and everything else like it. You know, the daughter of this one, daughter of that one. But what happens is you marry so the daughter of a Tamidchachim or of this, or you have that there's a Shvaga and there's this one and that one. And then the wife and the Shvaga and the father comes over and says, by us, do you mean it's like this? And then we see that you're doing this, we see all that. There's all different kind of questions, this and that. He says, I wanted somebody that's not going to ask me anything of what I do. She's going to be able to cook a meal. She's going to be able to wash laundry. Take care of a house. That's what I'm looking for. And the rest of the things, he says, Gate Minishan, I can live with whatever it is, this and that. So what did I do? I took for the, the as a, my, my uh, wife, I took the daughter of the one that does the sponging in Ponovich. And you should have seen my oh my chaverim, the attack, what they did was Das Shemsiknish the Gamil, this is what the best that you could do, never the talk up in the sponger. But I said, let's meet over here again in 25 years and let everybody take a look and see and where they're standing in the world, etc., etc. He says, believe me, it didn't take me 25 years for them all to realize that I made the right decision. James of Kizotas, Madan. He said, I'm telling you, and we went through a number of other things in Shaduchim of handle and what kind of things. And then I came up, I asked him, you know, with the second marriages and how it worked. So he says like this, if somebody's, let's say, uh, let's say a Grusha, you take another one that's Gorish, and he was used that he gave already once a get, because it, it's going to be pretty easy for him to give another get, even if there's a child there. Then the child, you know, taking care of this child, and the minor diner, unzida, with all these things, he says, the healthiest thing for a Grusha or <coughs> an older girl, you take an almond that has a young child, and you find that if he's a person that has a chorus of if he's one that has a chorus of and somebody's taking care of his young child and he just lost his wife, he doesn't have to be just, you know, he says you should always wait at least a year or two so it gets it out of the system. And and he says and that he says that happens to be will turn out to be the happiest uh, couple that there is because he has a chorus of to what she's doing, taking care of his child, then he's never gonna say minor dynamic all the children, basically, whatever they'll have over there, their gem will turn out to be. And he says, that's the way. And then we went through a number of other things, very interesting uh, outlooks, how he has on Shaduch and whatever else it is. But it's light, light, the people now, 
They're interested in their own things. They're interested in this. They're interested in that. They want to see pictures. They want to see this thing, which is not the Torah way of uh, going to Sashirach. <coughs> Doing an affair, and it was in a, in a hotel in, in New York, uh, and the caterer was from Brooklyn, and suddenly they realized that they, they're going to be running short on some chicken. So they asked me, what could we do? I said, I don't know, what, what's your proposal? They said that we could have the mashgiach could seal up one or two trays of chicken, raw chicken in the commissary. That's where you do all the cooking. Send it up over here. And then we'll cook it over here. We have enough time because we realize now there's more people that came than we have over here. So I said, that makes sense. Okay, have them send it down. So the two trays of chicken come and... Uh, it says on the thing written in Hebrew, Nivdak, and some scroll signature, which I can't decipher if it says Meshkiyach or it's not, because I really don't know his signature. I've worked with him other times, but I didn't know what his signature was. So I call up the commissary, and they said the commissary is closed already. Nobody was there. This was whatever it was, 9 o'clock at night. And nobody's in the commissary. I didn't have the telephone number of the Meshkiyach. So I told them we're not using it. They said, here, the Mashgiach signed, what do you want? I said, I can't tell you. I say, we are not using this. It's unacceptable. It's not, it's not the way it should be written, uh, etc. I am not accepting the product. They had to do something else, whatever it was. They gave more people the fish, whatever it was, but I didn't accept it. The next day, I called the Mashgiach, and I asked him, let me ask you, were you in the commissary yesterday at this and this time to seal up two um, two trays of chicken? He says, no, I wasn't. I said, very interesting. You know, two trays of chicken came over here with signature. Yeah. I, I say, he says, did you use it? I say, I didn't. He says, why well, didn't you use it? I say, why in the world would it say the word nivdak in Hebrew over there and then a scroll? Nivdak, he says. I say, you know what's happening here, I guarantee you? That the Goyesh who worked is there learned because you usually seal up trays of Czech vegetables. So the four letters of Nivdak, they learned how to write that. And they saw you give a scroll. And you know, any scroll, everybody's going to think that it's a scroll of a rabbi, whatever else it is. And you write Nivdak, and that's the way it goes. But when I saw Nivdak, I know this is not what a Mashgiach that learned from Yeshiva is going to write Nivdak and sign his name on it. Something doesn't even up. I say what I suggest is that you always should write in Hebrew the day of the week or the day of the Chodesh, something like it, that every single time that you're writing, this, the signature and the writing that you have in Hebrew, it'll always be different, so they're not going to be able to play these kind of games, but that's what they've been doing. I don't know how many other jobs these things happen. It's pretty common by uh, by caterers when they, a chef comes in, so he comes in with his own uh, toolbox, with his own caterer, and uh, because he has his, profession, his own private knives and everything is like it, and he shows you the box was sealed up by the previous job by this and this much gear. And take a look. You see the tape is on there, the OU tape, the K tape. It's sealed on. The Mashgir signed his name. Okay. So when I uh, when he gets finished, you make sure, Rabbi, that you'll seal my box when I leave. And I said, fine. I go and I put on plain regular tape on his box. And I write over there in Hebrew and I tape it down to the box that Kola Kalem Bifnim Hintaif. That all the kale are safe, and if you want to know more details, give me a call, and here's my telephone number, and this is my name. And I never heard from anybody. Why? Because when a mashgiach looks from the distance, and the, and the, the, the guy, the chef, shows him the box, 
And he says, take a look. You see, I got it sealed by the rabbi. They don't come over to take a look what it really says. Or was it sealed by the rabbi? Was not. Take a look what it says. Nothing. I saw some Hebrew words on it. Yeah, the Hebrew words also, like when people say in schools, that they only let their children take things that has um, uh, Hebrew oasis on it. But is also Hebrew oasis. But uh, but but that's the way it is, and people just don't care, and they don't look, etc., etc. And you got to be very careful, you know. It's it shouldn't be just haphazard eaten by caterers. <coughs> the famous rabbinical from Antwerpen, it came to America a number of years ago, and basically there were some bungalows that my parents had in the back, and uh, his mishpacha basically rented from us. <clears throat> one or two bungalows, and that's where the bicycle and the mishpaka, that's where they were staying. And there was a lot of people came, etc., etc. And I decided, you know, I want to get a picture of him coming out of the bungalow. I want to get a picture of him coming out where he uh, went to the mikvah, when they came out of the building and took pictures ahead. Then some of his chassidim noticed me taking pictures. So they told the Rebbe, the bicycle, he could tell me to stop. He says, lost them, lost them, lost them. Then the Alta Square Rebbe, I knew was coming also to go visit him at a certain time. So me and my brothers, we moved my father's car very close to the bungalow because I knew that the square Hasidim basically had been attacking me physically if you take a picture of uh, the square Rebbe and him coming out of the, the, the bungalow. So we figured we're going to be in the car, we're going to take a picture from there, and then we'll drive off. And Kachava was standing with the car, the bicycle comes out, the square Rebbe, we went, took, took one or two pictures, and we drove off with the car. And then uh, hit the camera, and uh, afterwards this guy Hasidim come over to me. They'll pay me anything for the camera. They want to have the pictures. They want this. They'll pay me any. I said Nishna because I know that these pictures that I have from Rebitzikon from the Square Rebbe, uh, 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 you you can't set a price for it. So I'm not giving them nothing. Okay, but yeah, those days it wasn't that fast that you you develop it. You gave it into a place over there, develop it. Took a week. Comes back the pictures. Comes back the pictures. Beautiful bungalow, beautiful trees, uh, everything in color and everything else like. But whatever the bicycle was there, the square ever was a black outline with nothing. You know, a black outline. You can see there's a person there, but you can't see what it is. Black outline, everything around him, this and that. Nothing. You couldn't see the ground. You couldn't see your shoes. Nothing like it. It was the same thing by the mikveh. Wherever it was, basically, that was a black outline. We had nothing. That I had, well, a shame, but that's what it was. But that's what the bicycle was. Then the bicycle sent somebody to call my father, who was a real Litvishayid, and he tells him, You know, we're staying over here now, this and that. He says, Bus Vilstahoben. So my father says, Nothing. He says, Epis, Epis, Epis the by Adahin, a kingdom at the Panusa, this and that. He says, The Toyrins and often, Bus the Vilstahoben. So my father says, there's nothing that I'm missing, there's nothing that I need. He says, the Torahs and the Yetzin Gansen often, and I can pull for you whatever you want to have. Just make the request. So my father says, I'm sorry, I need nothing, but I want to make sure with so many people that come in that my bungalow shouldn't collapse. He says, the bungalow is not going to collapse, you don't have to worry about that. Okay, and that same year, basically, <coughs> one of the other bungalows was... Uh, taken by somebody by the name of Rabbi Spiegelman, a family. And uh, they left. We, we, those days when you rented a bungalow, you didn't take too much information from somebody who came. He paid for the summer, and he gave it where they moved, where they lived. I had no idea. 
Bekitzer, he left over, over there in the bungalow, he left over a pocket-size machzer uh, l'sholosh v'golem. So I took it out, used it, uh, you know, I was young, uh, he, I didn't know that the that, shoyim uh, was a gazelin, or a shoyim b'shus, but I used it, and I damaged it, I ripped it a little bit, this that went by many, many years. I had, years ago, I had um, uh, ear infection. And then it pretty much had healed up, and then suddenly it, it happened again that the ear infection got, uh, it had a punctured eardrum, and then it got infected. So I went to the head of ear, nose, and throat in Philadelphia. They operated on me, etc., and basically a week to ten days later, uh, pus was oozing from it. That means that it bust, busted the eardrum again, and it didn't work. So my wife tells me, you know, we have over here that we won on a raffle by a school a few years ago. Uh, visit to this famous Dr. Goldstein in Queens. Why don't you go to him? He's big in ear, nose, and throat. Go to him. I said, I know what's going to be with the insurance and this and that. She says, look, a free visit you have. Here it is. There's no insurance. Go down to him. Okay, I called up, made an appointment, went down to him. His hours are in the middle of the night, basically. You know, it starts from 11, 12 o'clock at night and goes till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Okay, so I'm there. I'm waiting. And the, the nurse takes a look. She says, what's this all about? She gives me my insurance card, and I gave her this thing for me. So she calls Dr. Goldstein and looks at him and says, I see this is my signature and this is my thing. I don't remember this thing, but this is what it is. I'm going to handle it. Fine. Bikitzer, as I'm waiting for him, <coughs> one of his other patients was there. I'm a little bit of an oldie need. I go over to him. I say, excuse me, is your name perhaps Rabbi Spielman? He says, yes, it is. I say, this is my name. He says, I, that name is very familiar to me. I said, you stayed once in our bungalows a number of years ago. He says, a number of years ago? He said, it was many, 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 many years ago. And I told him, I forgot, you forgot over there, Maxwell Shorosh and Golden Pines. So I said, you used to be a He said, well, how do you know that I'm over here? I said, I recognize your voice from, from then till now. He said, after so many years, if you were able to recognize my voice, and my voice is still so distinctive that you were able to recognize if when the Moichel believed Shalom on what you used my machzer and you took it, and in the dosim years believe Shalom. He says, "I'm so happy that you were able to still re- recognize my voice after all these years." The kitzer, so Dr. Goldstein treated me, and he says that basically there's another problem. I have to basically operate on my deviated septum first, and if not, the the operation on the eardrum will never work. Okay, so schedule me for that operation. So you need that operation first, <coughs> then. Made the uh, he was going to do the second operation. <coughs> he told me to have a mincha. I told him, yeah, but you told me I'm going to be up by the operation of the eardrum, just like I was by the deviated septum. So why do I have to have a mincha? He said, I'm telling you, pay to mincha. Maybe you're going to be a little bit out. Dava mincha, okay. So I got a mincha. Take me into the operating room, and they're getting me ready. They put on the IV, put me on the operating table. And they're starting to, to clean my ear for that. So I said, one second, you got the wrong ear. It's the right ear, not the left ear. They look at that chart. They said, no, it's the left ear. I said, no, I'm sorry, it's the right ear. They said, well, the doctor marked it that it's the left ear. That, that's what we're going to proceed on. So I went and clamped with my hand, shut the IV line, because they had in there also to the anesthesia to put me to sleep. And I start going off the, the table. I said, no, the doctor's going to come here. I said, you're not touching me. You're not doing nothing. 
So they went, they called for security, that patient is leaving operating table. And with the Balagan, they came. I said, nobody touch me. You wait till Dr. Goldstein comes here. He'll check me again, and we can get this, this over with. He checks and he says, yes, I made a mistake. It's dizzy. Okay. Gets him. We had operation. Afterwards, I got up, and uh, it, it was at night already. It's good to that I was mincha beforehand. He realized he did put me to sleep. It's uh, not that I'm going to be up by during the operation. And basically, I got home. And a few days later, on a Friday morning, I uh, call him up, and I say that I feel some pus over there, and I feel that the thing is... Um, is basically infected again, and I think that it busted the eardrum. And he took a deep breath, listen, and he says, look, <clears throat> I'm not going to be in the office till uh, Sunday night. He says, come on Sunday night, what should I do? He says, uh, take take some aspirin, etc., etc. Okay, I was very devastated from that, etc., and it involved me, and, you know, he went through two operations on the ear, and then I did the ear septum, and everything, I was like, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to try something. I'm going to be macabre. I'm not listening to no Russian horror. That's it. So I don't hear Russian horror. Okay. As it comes along Shabbos, the pus is less and less, etc., etc. Sunday morning, I don't feel no pain already, etc. I go and I call up Dr. Goldstein. I tell him, I don't feel no pain. I don't feel no pus. Everything seems all right. He says, well, what did you do? You went to the doctor? I said, no. I just did. Basically, I decided, you know, I'm not going to listen to any Russian horror. Not listen to Russian horror. He says, you know, this is interesting. He says, you think you could come in to see me, uh, this was, I think, Monday, I called him. Could you come in to see me Monday night or Tuesday whenever you could make it? I said, yes. He said, I got to see this. The kids, I comment him, and he looks, and he calls over somebody else that was there. I don't know if he was training somebody, wherever else it is. He's looking for this here. I want to tell you something interesting. He says, every time that you do an operation, there's always a scar that's left. This, you can't see a scar there that that's there at all. It's definitely because this was healed by the Rabbin Shalom, which leaves no scar at all. And I, I don't remember ever seeing any surgery that was done. I know I did surgery in here, but there is no mark of any surgery I was done. It is completely, completely healed and closed up without any things. He says wonders of what uh, it could be done with just plain not listening to <clears throat> On one of my visits to Ravosna, I was addressing to him an interesting question. I told him <clears throat> that I uh, I spoke to a former farmer that deals in cattle. He's not a farmer, basically. He's a he's a dealer in um, in cattle, and he told me that cows, uh, when they shech them, it turns out to be ninety ninety five percent of the So I asked Ravosna, Ibazai. How do we drink milk? It's 90 95% of trafe. So Rosny asks me, he says, What age are the cows when they shech them? I said, Most probably between uh, 12 and 15 years old because they don't give any more milk then. It's one condition. He says, Okay, so let's go like this. He says, The Chazal say, So really, of these things that we see that we're taking out that it's not acceptable, we consider it to be trafe. Because it's fake, it's because we know we don't know exactly what it is. Well, we can't say that it's safe because Chazal say that Rodeim is and a, a suffer trafer doesn't live more than a year. So he says, so we have to say that in the 12 13 years, 
before the last year, the, there was no Suffolk trade over here because the behemoth wouldn't have lived. So it was Zika kosher at that time. So we have already that we know 90%, 95% of the milk is definitely kosher. Now we have what is the, it says that you can't use the milk from the last three days of the, of the of behemoth when you find that it's a teifa. So he says they take it out of the herd <coughs> a few days before when they send it off to the to the to be sold on auction for street or whatever else it is. Though that milk from those last couple of days doesn't come into the commercial market, so mainly you don't really have any access to that kind of um, uh, to that kind of milk. So mainly you really don't have any chash at all. Then. We um, went through about the operated cows. What's the story with operated cows? He told me the operated cows, there's a repulsion that it is a safe, whether it's the, the bloating or it's the displaced and the mason, etc., etc. And um, basically it's safe. So he says, and there was one of the abonim, uh, one of the and that's associated with the Kashi's organization recently came to him and told him that he has a mashgiach that's very, very well versed in the anatomy of animals and there's ways of doing the operation that it doesn't make it safe and this mashgiach could watch <coughs> and when, when the veterinarian does the procedure he could watch and make sure that it doesn't do it safe. So he says the husband told him hey, it's awesome, you can't do it. He asked him why, he says I don't want to tell you why but you can't do it. So I asked the Rosman why, why, what's the reason that you can't do it? It makes a lot of sense. So he says the reason, and I asked him why do you call him Rabbanimlech and Bayanimlech? It bothered me a lot that, that that those words that he used. So I'll tell you, he says these Rabbanimlech and Bayanimlech that you have, they never had shemesh by an altar of. They know you look up a chuva, you look up here, you look up there, this and that. So. He says the Masurda they don't have. The Masurda you only get by having Shimish by Al-Tarabon. So, Mil, they don't have the Masurda. So, Mil, they look at this. Uh, we saw a chuva here. We saw a chuva. He says, Aphilus Gazan Sanchuvas. If the Masurda is differently, we go by Masurda. That's the way it works in Kalmish. Everything goes by Masurda. You could only get the Masurda by Al-Tarabon. But to you, I'm going to tell you why I told you that it's awesome. I say, why to M. Nisht and Samiria? He's very simple. He says, "Do hostia the Masoida." Well, this you were basically by Alter Abonim, by the Moshe, by the Biaku, by by a Palm, by um, by the Nishlos. And you know, he went through. You know, because he, he knows me well. And so he says, "Do the Masoida." You spent a lot of time with the Abonim. So, Mill, you know what the Masoida is? And I'll show you yet more. I'm not going to tell you the reason why. You tell me what the reason is why, based on the Masoida, why you would not uh, use it. So I told him. He says, "That's it. The Stugat and exactly what it is, and that's not the reason that I told him not." He's in the mains as Yenat Megafault that he's not going to do it. Was the listen that a Chalki Zichah doing it anyways? And he holds I don't know what I'm talking about. And he's doing it. He says that's also part of the Masoid. I'm as focused on Alter of what I tell you to do. I asked him, Where's Yenat? He says, Okay. And he gets on the way back on the plane. I start, you know, I know all the players basically. And I said, Now let me try to figure out who it could be. This one, that one. I had him. I decided it's got to be one certain one. I come home, <coughs> I call up that one, and I said, Well, you recently were a Vosner to discuss this and this parsha about the operated cows. 
He says, yeah, why? Rav Ozma told you. <coughs> I said, no, he God didn't want to tell me. But let me ask you, what he told you to do, you do it? He says, no, he doesn't understand these things. I have good, good mashgicham, and I have good this, and I have good that. I have a hint. I said, yeah, Rav Ozma told me that Yuzicha didn't listen to him, and he's going to address it in a tshuva. Most people are not going to understand the shtach that he's giving you, but Lamais is going to give you a shtach over there. That the comes for the and I'm not ready to listen to this. That the altar is best of his altar abon. He's over. He said, "I said, yeah, that's what he told me. That he's going to he's going to address it in the tshuva. Under the shchapen, he says, I'll chapen, you'll chapen. That's what it is. But he's not going to go into any bite. Then the Rosen tells me another thing, a very interesting thing, with these rabbanim look and the yonim look. He says, let me tell you about this. He says that Amor and Nicker says that these things of Nicker you can't learn from the svarim only from a mumcha and a bar. You have to know from Mufa Baka given down hand to him what it is. Nishman the Swarov. He says, Does gate of Allah, Zachar, and Kashas. Not only Nikr, everything in Kashas. The Rav is Nishta Mumcha. The Rav has to take the facts that the Mumcha puts down, not to decide on his own what are the facts. He takes the facts from the Mumcha, and then based on those facts, when he makes a decision based on what's based on what that belongs to Bismarck. He doesn't belong out in the field to go take a look and see what is the facts out there and decide these facts and that. He said that's the job for Mumcha. Mumcha makes that thing. That's, that's the Ramal over here. Which, uh, and he told me that I should always make sure with those things. Don't give people, the people that are not Mumcha, uh, at bottom they want to know something. Dragged by the Mumcha, the same thing he says with the Taylor and all these kind of things. So I had um, recently, I had some, uh, we started the whole ASIC with orange juice that they were scale insects in there, etc. So I had some Rabban came to me if I could show them the scale insects in the thing. I say, I'm sure you're a mumcha in Tulum. If you're a mumcha in Tulum, you don't need me to show it to you. You'll be able to find it yourself. He says, No, I'm not a mumcha. So I say, If you're not a mumcha, I say, Why do you go against uh, the Ramah? The Ramah says that you're supposed to take the facts from the mumcha. There's a number of mumcha that said that they checked the old orange juice and they all have scale insects. Some have more, some have less. All depends on how much water they added to it, because the water itself doesn't have it, but the orange juice, that's what Tropicana has the most scale insects, because it's pure orange juice. And I said, so the Ramah says that that you have to go to the Mumcha, so if the Mumcha tells you this is what it is, you only base your halacha based on what the Mumcha told you, but it's not for you to go decide on the Mumcha, and that is what Ravosna taught me, so Emil, I'm very sorry that I can't have I said, I said, why do you want to see it yourself? He said, we want to see if, if the attack is. So I say, so you're telling me in my face that you don't believe me. You tell me in my Pranamarain and to the Mumchim, to the other ones, you don't believe me, and we should even address the issue to you to tell you and to be able to show you was Vavu. I think it's very not proper to tell somebody in his face that he's a lawyer, and then you tell him, especially I don't know where you're coming from. And I've had this also with a number of times <coughs> with people that want to see the the insects in, in these vegetables and those vegetables. We know that there is the insects are there. This is what it is. If you're not trained to do it, you're not going to pick up on it because they are camouflage, etc., etc. So this by yet name to go decide that I'm a mumkin now with a gazan. I checked through. I didn't find anything. Maybe everything is fine. Usually I don't have a problem in companies that uh, I don't give my hand to women when they extend their hand. Basically, I tell them right away I don't. There was a one company that she was a vice president, and she stuck out her hand, and I saw right away she felt very hurt. I said, I don't give my hand to women, and she felt very hurt. Then when we had a meeting with the, with the higher-ups of the company, uh, the CEO and this and that, she went and brought up this thing 
that the rabbi refused to give a hint that she feels it's very not uh, not proper manner to do it. I know other Hashgacha agencies say that you could give it, it's a business, whatever else it is. I said, let me explain you something. By us, by us religious Jewish people, our wives are, cons- by us, we consider them to be queens. Women are queens, not regular people around. And it is very improper for every commoner to give his hand to a queen. And that's the way we look at women as queens. And the commoner does not give his hand to, uh, to, to the queen. That's not the proper thing. And that's why, because of our respect for women, that's why we don't give our hands. I say, and by the way, we know that everything started basically with a handshake. On Chalmoy Pesach, there was one of the Hamish Hashgachas was explaining in a public form that we're speaking in, I believe it was in Kiris Yoel, that the difference between the Hamish Hashgachas and the Organizatsi Hashgachas is, one of the big differences is, the Hamish Hashgachas don't kasha ben and the Organizatsi Hashgachas kasha ben So it's a big thing, okay? So, I uh, listened to that tape, I went to give a mice, I listened to the tape, I called up this, this uh, Rob that said the speech, I said, by the way, let me ask you, let me give you a list of uh, four places in the past 18 months that you kashered Ben Yoimais. He says, yeah, that's true, he says, but that was a Shasachak. So, Melak had to kasher Ben Yoimais. But the, the other organizations, I say, one second, the OU only kashers Ben Yoimais, or they kasher also Ben Yoimais? He says, they kasher also Ben Yoimais. I say, I'm sure they do it also Shasachak. I say, but by them, they're doing 10,000 productions a year, and they cash it, Ben Yoimois, 50 times. You do 10 productions a year, and you cash it three times, Ben Yoimois. So your percentage, basically, is 30% of the time that you do your cash it, Ben Yoimois. And the other organizations, the OU, does it one time, one, 1% or less than a percent. So really, what you should get off and say the next time, say, that the difference between the organization Ashgachas and that, like, like the OU, is that they don't kasha ben yoimers, and we kasha ben yoimers because we have the shasat chaks and all these kind of things, etc., etc. Ahemish Ashgachas did a uh, production by, I think it was by Lay's Potato Chips, and they publicized all over Bishel Yisrael, Bishel Yisrael, this and that, first time it was ever produced, potato chips with Bishel Yisrael, etc. <coughs> so I called up the, the one that was given to Ashgachas over there, that the publicized this whole thing, I said, let me ask you, how did you kasha the tumbler? <coughs> that's where they put in the spices and the things that's hot when the potatoes fall in there. He says, with a very big torch. I said, the tumbler was facing up to the ceiling or was facing on an angle towards me? He says, uh, angle towards me so I could see what we're doing. I said, really? And you used a regular big, uh, big torch and the heat didn't do anything to you which basically heat from that tumbler it should have reflected on you that you couldn't have held those from the heat. So I, I really that highly used it. And I know that lace potatoes are not let you use the big one. And with a small one, you couldn't have gotten to all the place anyways. I say, uh, what was the shayla by lace that you decided you have to kasha? Is everything is kosher, even the oil is kosher. But we wanted to have that the oil should be bishul yisrael. And it's not bishul yisrael. And we hold my potato chips, has to be bishul yisrael. And so I said, yeah, I know the Vosel told me also that he also takes it from the Bishli Yisrael, and I think the Vosel also told me that he also takes it from the Bishli Yisrael. <coughs> so he says, so he wants the Bishli Yisrael stay passive. I say, but the Lays, one of the requirements is that you have to use 
20% of used oil. Is that correct? He says, yes, that's correct. So I say, shishim is 1.6. They may use 20% of used oil, so mainly you don't have no shishim. So you have dishlakam oil anyways. You went and spent money and downtime from the company and from whoever you did was with mashgichim, takasha, etc., etc., on this garnished ufkatani, you publicize all over in the, in the papers and the magazines all over that you have bishlul yisrael, since you can bishlul yisrael. You could go, I said, uh, there's other ones that I'm making, talk to bishlul yisrael, that's always policy. They changed oil, they're not using any used oil. I said, but if you want, I'll teach you how to be able to do it over there, to be outside of Yosef, and I explained them certain procedures by um, by lays and how they could do it and they could get it done. They could show without any downtime, without kasha, with that none of the things, etc., etc. But they, they, they have no problem coming up with this thing. They ambitiously stroll, even though it's a regular straight out uh, deception to the public. Especially stroll. <coughs> One time during a stroll, somebody invited me to come Friday night to eat with him in the Plaza Hotel. I don't eat by any of these places, etc., etc. But I couldn't turn it down, so I figured with some of the challah, I could with some of the zikhi. It's hard to find over here that a regular challah needs. And all the things, okay. So the kids, they served some fish. And I told the waiter to leave it there. You know, they, they, they cooked the fish. They were going to serve the soup. When they brought the soup, I asked the waiter, could you find out if the chef is still in the kitchen? I'd like to talk to him. He says, yes, you're more than welcome to come and talk to me. Because there isn't much that a chef has to do on a Friday night. Really. They're basically to manage the kitchen. And I go in. It's a... It's a uh, uh, from a chef, it seemed like to be, you know, I can't say it's a yeshiva man, but a from a chef. And I told him that I'm a big maven on soups. And this soup that he made is really out of this world. And I started talking to him about soups, this and that, which I, I, I do understand very well about soups. And um, he says, anything else you want to know? So I said, yeah, I want to know your fish, and I want to know the bishop you stroll. I want to know about the chicken and the meat. And he took me around to the freezer, to the refrigerator, to here, to there. Because I was in the kitchen just about a half hour until I came. And I knew exactly what I could eat, what I can't eat. The kitchen and uh, the other people, person that invited me didn't know what happened. If I left or what happened, this and that. So I told him no. I said, but again, you have to realize... Nobody ever goes into a chef to tell him that the soup is gavaldic. They'll tell him your, your prime rib was good, your duck was good, or something, but the, the soup. So that's something where, you know, they'll be free to talk about the thing to this person, because they really appreciate that a guy really appreciated that soup. And Baruch Hashem, I had what to eat. 